Well, it was just last week. I found myself kind of shifting, kind of vacillating between one, feeling like I'm stalled, stopped in my tracks, kind of drifting slowly through life, and two, trying to move quickly, trying to move swiftly, standing on my tiptoes, getting tiny glimpses of the future, and being excited about what lies ahead. By the way, next week, we're going to kind of analyze and ponder this movement between being stalled and actually looking ahead and standing on our tiptoes. Again, that's next week. This week, however, this week we're going to crack open and unpack another cornerstone. So here it is. We're asking one another this week, do you have my back? You see, I'm convinced. Regardless of where we are, what we're doing, who we're with, and where we're headed, there's not a better time than now to have each other's back. I'm reading to you from Paul's letter to the Romans, the 14th chapter. Just a few verses. Paul writes, We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God is our response. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be truly acceptable to you, our rock and our creator. Well, indeed, this has been another crazy week of ups and downs for me. And within that kind of a roller coaster ride, I've realized, for me personally, now more than ever is the time to have one another's back. And my thoughts were confirmed, actually, in a daily devotional message. Actually, that message is, uh, oh, I don't know, four or five days old. And that message focused on Paul's letter to the Romans, specifically that area of the 14th chapter that I just shared with you. Well, David Guzik, who's a contemporary Bible guru, he shares what I think are some revealing understandings about the power of this letter. And I quote, When Paul wrote the book of Romans, he had been a Christian preacher for some 20 years. On his way to Jerusalem, he had three months in Corinth without any pressing duties. He perhaps thought that this was a good time to write ahead to the Christians in Rome, a church he planned to visit after his trip to Jerusalem. As Paul thought about and endeavored to go to Rome, the Holy Spirit warned him about the perils that were awaiting him in Jerusalem. What if he were unable to make it to Rome? If not, then, he must write them a letter so comprehensive that the Christians in Rome had the full gospel that Paul preached, even if Paul himself were not able to visit them. And because of all this, Romans, the letter to the Romans, is different than many of the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to churches. Other New Testament letters focused more on the specific local church and community, and its challenges and its problems. 
The letter to the Romans focuses more on God and his great plan of redemption for the world. In fact, many scholars refer to the book of Romans as the gospel of, Ro of grace. The gospel of grace. Now, personally, I wrote a 30-week Bible study on Romans many years ago. must have been 20 years ago. And although this 14th chapter of Romans appears to focus on relationships between people, the judgment of others, and achieving reconciliation among parties, Paul here uncovers, especially in today's verses, that a crucial element of being at one with another person, in other words, a crucial element in nurturing a healthy, holy relationship, it's really simple. It's having their best interests in mind at all time. Like having each other's back, you might say. We do not live to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, Paul writes. So again, here's the question I'm asking you to ponder this week. Do I have other people's back? Really? Am I making an authentic effort to love, care for, and support others and their unique needs, even if it might be inconvenient? Or, even worse in our political climate, even if I have to lay down my political agendas and personal beliefs, am I willing to authentically care for other people? Am I willing to keep them in mind? Honestly, am I on this COVID journey together? Are we indeed Yuma strong, like the front yard signs all over the town of Yuma, Arizona advertise? Are we indeed the body of Christ, the family of God? Are we indeed a church community, a church family? Well, sort of along those lines, I had what I'm calling an aha moment this week. I realized recently that I am a woof-woof-toting, card-carrying member of the Brownie Bryant Dog Pack. No kidding. Wendy, Brownie, and I do virtually everything together. Now, Brownie loves laying his head on my foot and taking a nap. Brownie often comes to me, stops, and leans up against my legs, and then he looks at me like the loving pooch that he is. He also has a way of laying his, just, you know, kind of walking up. I'll be sitting, I'll be seated. He'll walk up and he'll lay his head on my lap and look at me and just wait for me to stroke his forehead. You know, being a pack member is significant in my life because for some pretty weak reasons, I made little effort for eight years to be an act of Charlie, Charlie Bryant's life. Charlie, by the way, was our 15 and a half year old poodle who passed away two years ago. You know, my involvement in his daily life was pretty minimal. Wendy, now Wendy was his significant pack member. Now, before you say to yourself, come on, Pastor Mike, what's the big deal? We're just talking about a dog here. Friends, please understand, I did not realize my place in the pack until we got Brownie. Today, I'm a very active part of Brownie Bryant's daily life. Today, I'm a full-blown, fully vested, fully invested member of the Brownie Bryant pack. That simply means, if you're wondering what I'm talking about here, it means we have each other's back.
Now, you might remember last week, if you follow the news at all, that there was quite a stir about the projected timing of a vaccine for the coronavirus. And in the midst of that detail, don't know if you saw this, because it would have been easy to get up and to get caught up in all the, the partisan arguments and the political debates, like virtually everything else these days. Most things just tend to end up in uh, another useless partisan debate about who's right, who's wrong, and who's confused. But friends, last week, in the middle of all this, some reasonable fair-minded, and I'm saying trustworthy people made this statement in a CBS News article. Quote, the potential phased structure for distribution of a vaccine relies on cooperation between public and private entities. The relationship hinges on a shared database of vaccination history for all Americans opting to receive the coronavirus vaccine. End quote. My friends, the bottom line here is simple. According to U.S. health officials, the effectiveness of any vaccine, regardless of who gets to wave a flag and say, I was right and you were wrong, will wholeheartedly depend on cooperation and teamwork. Listen to this. Successful, safe, and effective vaccination Procedures fully depend on people genuinely having one another's back. Now, something that happened to me here a few days ago that's way closer to home than an article uh, uh, that that I read on Apple News is right here. Recently, I learned that the exterior exterior of the Yuma First Church building is going to need some work, some construction work. So I went by a friend's office in Yuma, a person I know and trust, and I thought, you know what, he'll have a great recommendation for a construction construction company to do the repair. So, went inside, we went into a room, we sat down across from each other, a large conference table between us. Both of us were properly masked, we both had our face coverings on. My friend looked at me, this is the first thing he did, he looked at me and he said, do you mind if I take off my mask, or would you prefer that I leave it on? I was pleasantly shocked. No one had ever asked me that question before. And at that moment, he was demonstrating clearly to me that he's concerned about the well-being of other people. And in this particular case, that person he was concerned about was me, his friend. Thank you, my friend. You know who you are. What a tremendous example of having another person's back. What a tremendous example of looking out for the other person. I do not live to myself. I do not die to myself. But I live to the Lord. And I live to care for other people. In my family, in my community, and in the world around me. You know, it's pretty clear though, to me anyway, all you have to do is turn on the evening news. Americans disagree on how far they will go to look out for their neighbor. So why is being authentically concerned about someone else so difficult for a lot of people these days? Well, you know what? (laughs) I'm telling you, the news is full of great things these days. According to a recent National Geographic article on how you and I as Americans are coping or trying to cope 
with the mass, with the, with the huge numbers of coronavirus deaths in our nation, did you know that according to studies, the cards are stacked against us? In a recent article, the, the, the uh, article headline was, Why Our Minds Can't Make Sense of COVID-19's Enormous Death Toll. Here's a couple of notes from the article. As we reach grim milestones, 200,000 dead in the U.S. and 1 million globally, our new challenge is overcoming the natural tendency to go numb. And I quote, Ultimately, our biology is working against us. Researchers say our brains aren't wired to make sense of big numbers. We're also trying to digest coronavirus death tolls amid a sea of, amid a sea of other worries, including economic uncertainty, civil unrest, wildfires, hurricanes, geopolitical strife, election tensions, and unprecedented, unprecedented shifts in how we work, shop, socialize, and even educate our children. The article continues addressing what it calls, quote, the arithmetic of compassion. More tragedy doesn't always elicit more empathy. It can counterintuitively bring about apathy. The magnitude of the death toll can cause some people to become less compassionate, says Paul Slovic, a psychologist, at the University of Oregon, due to a phenomenon he calls psychic numbing. Simply put, some brains have gotten used to hear, hearing about COVID-19 deaths to the point where higher numbers no longer register emotionally. What folks are saying here, friends, is that unless we've been personally touched by the death of a person who had a name and a face and a life, you and I, right or wrong, were, un were wired to push away the overall devastation and, un and we unwittingly end up not understanding and not really caring about all the tragic untimely deaths. We don't do it on purpose. We just don't have the ability to process those large numbers is what scientists are saying. So, closer to home now, between you and me, are we making a genuine effort to look way past ourselves and see the needs of all those around us? Or maybe we're just going it alone, going solo, only being concerned about the circumstances of life that affect only ourselves. My friends, I don't know how many times I've heard in the last six months, and this is a quote, I don't need to wear a mask, I'm fine. It doesn't matter if I get sick. I'm saved. God will protect me. Friends, political arguments about wearing a mask are useless and way out of place here. They're inappropriate. In my mind, simply wearing a mask, a mask or a face covering today is a basic example of having each other's back. It's a basic example of looking out for the other people around me. The mask thing is just a microcosm of something far greater. Clearly, don't we look toward God and the genuine well-being of those around us? Because that's exactly what Jesus teaches us. That's what he commands us to do. And that's what Jesus demands of us. 
as faithful Christians. So, we closely work together as a team, a family. We hang together like a tight-knit pack. Do we have a place in the pack? You bet we have a place. And that place is, I've got your back. We're in this together. And this is the only way that we as faithful followers of Jesus, I believe, it's the only way we can faithfully accomplish what God has planned for our future. Do you know your role in the pack? You've got one. Do you know what your job is in the pack? Finally this week, I want to send kudos to the Walmart Corporation for their newest television commercial series. It goes like this. There's all kinds of memberships these days. There's memberships at a gym. There's memberships at gas stations. There's mail order memberships. There's grocery store memberships. But then the commercial shifts and it focuses in on people, individuals, neighborhoods, families working together for the good of people in their community. And the commercial says, but what about being a member of humanity? Here's the closing thought from this whole series of commercials. Quote, Time is life's most precious gift. We all have it, but none of us have enough, enough of it. Our hope is that by being a Walmart Plus member, you're able to spend more time being the most important member, a family member, a community member, and a member of humanity. You know what? This is one of the most important cornerstones that we have that we can hold on to. This is one of the most important cornerstones that will change our lives and change the world around us. My friends, certainly in my mind, the message of the new Walmart commercial series is clear. I've got your back. I've got your back. Gracious God, you've got our back. Gracious God, give us strength, empower us to know and understand the many ways that we can have each other's back. And it's in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.